Hello and welcome to Borough Talks. I'm your host, Angela Clutton, and you're about to listen to a live recording of an event with the wonderful Honey & Co, Sarit Packer and Itamar Shrulevich, who were chatting to me from their home all about their new book, Chasing Smoke, and catching up generally about their travels and their favourite foods and talking about cooking on fire. It's a live event from their home, as I say, so um, a few clicks and bumps along the way, but it was a complete joy to talk to Sarit and Itamar, so I really hope you enjoy listening to it too. Hello everybody and a very, very warm welcome to Borough Talks, which is Borough Markets events and podcast series on all things to do with food and food culture. I am Angela Clutton. It is my complete joy to be the host of Borough Talks and I'm also a cook and a food writer. Um, And we have two wonderful guests today. Let's get going and uh, get to it and welcome wonderful Sarit and Ishmael Honey & Co. We're coming, we're coming. Coming, you're coming. <laughs> you're only in Stockwell, come on. <laughs> we're here. Hi, so nice to see you. Sorry, we weren't paying attention. We were being, you know, interested in our coffee and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, I will try very hard not to take it personally, sorry, all good. Um, really, really nice to see you. Um, I am going to do a very quick intro because I'm hoping that in the course of our discussion over the next 45 minutes or so, that's going to be our way for really discovering who you guys are but just going to give a little bit of a heads up um i'm sure everyone knows um sarah packer ishmael shrudovich opened honey and co in 2012 i think i'm right in saying um and then there's honey and smoke and there was the deli honey and spice all in fitzrovia in london debut cookbook honey and co cruise in the middle east in 2015 which won an stonking number of awards three other books since Honey and Co the baking book Honey and Co at home which you'll see here and anyone who is part of the Borough Market Cookbook Club which I also do um, will remember having cooked from Honey and Co at home as part of that and then the latest book which is Chasing Smoke and that's the book which we are here to really kind of talk about and enjoy and embrace um because it's it's just such a gorgeous book guys Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We will take uh, a third of the credit because I think a lot should go to Patricia, the photographer, for the gorgeousity of the book. Gorgeousity. And to the designer. But we will take a third and be very happy with it. Yeah, I think that's very, very generous of you. I mean, having cooked from it and read it, the the joy and the heart of it obviously comes from you guys. And I think one of the things I really want to kind of get across to people is that it is, you know, it's got all the fabulous flavours and recipes that you would expect anything to do with Honey & Co. But it's also just so amazingly written. it, It really tells the story of journalism. And again, we're going to talk about that. But I opened it up, read the very first bit, which is you guys landing in Cairo. That's right, isn't it? The very first bit of it. And it's like reading a novel and a really good novel. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is nice for him to hear. Thank you so much. It's, <laughs> it's great to hear. I mean, I think we all know that feeling of, of coming to a new place, that kind of excitement of coming to a new place, and especially a place like uh, Cairo, which is everything it's everything it's such a huge town and the energy is is incredible so to do it even a a fraction of justice and to bring someone to that is is definitely what we try to do you Um, land everybody in there so much through the food but also i think very much with the evocative way 
we tell the stories and I we're going to get back to chasing smoke really quickly and I might get get it off my shelf yeah. <laughs> no, no, never. never. <laughs> I was saying, anyway, <laughs> that all, yeah, I always have my bookshelf like this. With you know, yeah. um, can we? I'd really love to hear yeah, the story. Um, if you just bear to tell us a little bit, each of you, about your childhood, where you grew up, how you got into cooking, and how London is so fortunate to have you here. I don't know if it's fortunate, it it may, yeah, it may, it may feel may London, regret. But, yeah that we're a bit too noisy for it. Um, I'll start? Yeah. So I was born to a very English family, but in Israel. So they had moved, my parents are both Londoners that moved to Israel uh, before I was born, decided to raise a family in a hot climate. Um, they're Jewish and it's kind of a, you know, for some people that's a way they go. And, uh, but I grew up in a very kind of early childhood, very English kind of household, eating very English food and in, in Israel. So, you know, like having chicken pies and having, uh, you know, fish and chips and, uh, you know, ham and egg, kind of very, very English. Like boiled, yeah, learning from Adore Jaffrey, Delia Smith. There's a lot of, you know, good housekeeping. My mom used to, she's a great cook, but very kind of, now she's a lot more adventurous, but she used to cook kind of these classic things that she knew and loved. And now I, she's too adventurous. She's not too adventurous. She's nicely adventurous. She used to be like a stickler for recipes. And no, now, now she she'd never be was like, a stickler for recipes. No. Now, now she'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I, I cooked your, your cake recipe, but instead of plums, I used tomatoes. Instead of <laughs> almonds, I used some dirt I found in the garden. Instead of sugar, salt. It didn't come out nice. You should uh, look at this recipe. She's he, completely. He is, he is bad mouthing my mother for no reason at all. My mother's. She a is very, a fantastic cook. She's a fantastic cook. But so I got very involved young. Like in Israel, all the kids cook. They're part of the kitchen. It's part of day to day life. And I was always interested. And I became a vegetarian. Uh, because I was an obstinate child and then uh, because that's what you do and then if I wanted to eat more exciting things and the rest of the family I just learned to cook like quite a lot and that was my way to, to kind of spoil myself I suppose get a bit more adventurous and I started to really get into it to read a lot more cookbooks and uh, to focus on how to cook I fell in love with baking and then slowly started cooking for the rest of the family then for other people uh, you know small events and small catering so by the time I was kind of 18 and in Israel, you have to go to the army. I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Um, and yeah, and then you go to the army and then I came to London to chef school because I figured uh, France was too difficult. Don't speak French. Uh, you know, I speak English. I had a cousin here that I could stay on her sofa for a few weeks until I settled. So I came to chef school in London. What year uh, was that? Sorry? Roughly when was that? Uh, 1998 a long time ago <laughs> uh and was it oh my god it sounds terrible but yeah kind of like somewhere between the pyramids and <laughs> the rule of Queen Victoria. Again, you're saying now, now i have stuff that are younger than when i came to london to learn how to be a chef this is a you know this is a milestone as a chef life um, so great. do you feel that you came to london to to cook to be a chef to do yes, what definitely doing. what was happening back in israel at the time when i left wasn't very interesting it wasn't kind of exciting food everything was happening in london you know i came the school i went to was a conran school it was kind of an apprentice uh, restaurant and we worked in thing but there was like all these like crazy big restaurants and everything was happening with marco pierre white and uh, 
Nicola Dennis, everything was, uh, Gordon Ramsay was just kind of starting, you know, it was all this, like, everything was about London, the food he was kind of heading up and I just wanted a part of that, I wanted to learn it and to see. And I um, landed after college at the Orrery, which was Chris Galvin at the time. And uh, I was working there in that year that he got his first star. And that was very exciting. And then kind of stayed there for a while. Um, and I suppose after a couple, just over two years in a Michelin star restaurant, you kind of need a break. <laughs> it's a lot to do. And you can do it when you're 20 or 22. But after that, you need to stop. So I went back to Israel. Uh, and I worked in a kitchen there. And um, this guy walked in. Yeah. Uh, so we met in a kitchen in Israel and uh, I don't know, we kind of... The rest is history. The rest kind is of, kind yeah. of history, yeah. yeah. So Ismail, let's get, let's get, I feel like I'm doing a sort of the syllabic talk show now. Let's get your story up to this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm from Jerusalem, uh, grew up in Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, like, like Sarit said, you always... Uh, even as kids, you know, you just grow up cooking and eating. It's very much a part of daily life. So it was very easy for me and, and the stuff that I enjoy. I, I grew up with uh, my grandma was a fantastic cook and you have access to all these amazing cooking traditions, which I was very curious about. Um, and I never, I mean, I thought maybe potentially I'll do it as a career, but I just thought okay, you know, I know how to cook and I can probably make a living. So I'll just uh, do it for a while. <laughs> I'll just do it for a bit until I decide what I'm going to do with my life. And uh, I'm still waiting to find out. So <laughs> I'm still there. Oh, wow. now, now he's a beautiful cookbook author and he writes beautiful stories. No, I think, I think somewhere around like when I was 28 or 30, I realized that actually this is what I want to do and this is what I love and this is what I enjoy. So I might as well take it seriously. And, and so uh, when yeah. did you guys come to London together because Sarah you're saying you, you you'd already been yeah. yeah I'd been here for like three years and then moved back and then probably spent two years in Israel we met no. we were quite quick with our relationship we didn't I mean it took us a while to start but once we kind of got going we kind of moved in together we, yeah, after we a couple moved of in weeks together, then we got married yeah. then we kind of moved so I suppose uh, a couple of years in Israel and then we came back here um 2004 2004 yeah, christmas 2004 that was the big tsunami yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, sadly that's how we remember our dates yeah. yeah it's terrible but the, um the boxing day tonight this yeah. is when we landed oh really oh, yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i could think a couple of days before that we landed a couple of days before so we remember it well yeah um and then we just started working here i think i you know yeah well or originally we didn't come to live here we just came for a bit yeah you we know the original to... plan was just to travel and stay a couple of months in each place uh but then we kind of uh got stuck here slash fell in love with this place and we didn't want to a bit of a combination of both but i think we kind of had this amazing vision in our heads that with this you know because i have a british passport and Nathan was married we thought oh we'll do spain and then we'll do france and then we'll go to italy and we'll spend like a few months in each yeah. place but that, that was at the time that you the can EU. Yeah. <laughs> there was an EU. Uh, I don't know if anyone remembers, <laughs> but you used to be able to. Yeah. Well, I think that's another one of the things that comes across in Chasing Smoke. Uh, and you know, I think we'll, we'll get back to that really soon and talk about if the journeys through it. But one of the things that comes through, it almost does feel from a, a, a world ago, of this idea of just so yeah. happy, freely. Yes, yeah. It's discovering communities and cultures. And it almost does seem like something from 
a different time. From yeah, a different time. Yeah. And you know, when we were in lockdown writing it, we also went to that place. I think the book slightly, you know, differed slightly because of this aspect of trying to, to give across that feeling of like this joy of landing somewhere and just kind of going and going and eating. And it's not, we didn't go and study back into the history of like when the first fire was lit and how it's cooked. It was more about trying to convey what it is to be a person in the world that lands somewhere and just discovers what there is to discover. And kind of, you know, Itamar wrote beautifully all the stories about it, but we try in the food as well to not make it too fussy, to just make it something that is about the enjoyment of life, kind of, of course, following specifically fire here, because if we try to go for all of the food of the region, it's impossible. There's like so much to cover and so much to see and eat. And so we have to have a focus. But I do think the writing definitely celebrated travel, no? Yeah, but I know, I know what you mean. It does feel kind of almost like nostalgic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of like, oh, this is how we used to be. Yeah. But in a way, I think it's it's there's something nice about that, you know. It gives like a little, maybe melancholy. I don't know. Well, and, and yeah, God willing, we'll be back to it, you know, soon enough. But was this for 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 writing and planning, chasing smoke? Was it one trip? Was it one journey that you know that went to all the different places, or is this a culmination of things? It's a culmination. We yeah. spent. I mean, in a sorry, you go. <laughs> Yeah, we, we decided in 2018, we decided not to talk over each other. It hasn't worked. And, and we're still working, on, we're it. Still working on it. It's a, it's a work in progress. You know, we're kind of uh, very... Um, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, so you go. So in... Basically, we traveled along 2019. So we obviously have the restaurants and we have to be back at them quite often. So what we did was pretty much take a week, a month within that year uh more or less for not for the height of summer because it's impossible to go to that region for the height of summer and if anyone is listening in order to plan a trip when trips are allowed just avoid it in july august but the rest of the months of the year uh we tried to to travel for a few days uh, every month uh on five of the trips uh, patricia came with us as well and spent the time with us and took all the beautiful photos and we just went to kind of see and enjoy and experience uh, some places we went longer than others some places we went twice rather than once different things and it wasn't about trying to like cover everything like we weren't trying to expose a country and a city in all its glory we were just trying to kind of catch glimpses and like beauty points no yeah wisps of smoke wisps of smoke exactly um yeah I, I, and in a way it, it was it's kind of like a combination maybe of not just the trips that we did for the book, but, you know, our traveling life in the past and our, you know, day-to-day -day life. Uh, because this is, you know, even before the, the idea for this book came out, we would always, you know, go wherever we could in that region, try to find a little bit more about the tradition, trying to meet a few more people that can shed a, a light on something new. We love these flavors. We love this atmosphere. And we just wanted to bring it yeah, yeah. so the, the the trips for the book were actually more for photography than anything else yeah i think and uh, um when did um honey and smoke and what, what uh, is, there, is there a big dif difference of time between opening honey and smoke and then doing the book which so the, 
originally, the, so Honey and Smoke now officially is four years old, but because of we the year pandemic, we don't count 2020. So it's three with a latent no, you know age. It's, uh, five. Oh, it's five with a latent age of four or something like yeah. that. But originally this book was going to be a restaurant book. It was going to be Honey and Smoke and a restaurant book. But when we started, that was the kind of, you know, we always do this. That was the book deal we signed. It never happened. Uh, you know, the publishers deal with us as they do. But could, because when we start writing, it always becomes something else. And I think we just thought maybe the restaurant was still growing, still evolving, still changing. And also who needs a restaurant book? There's so many out there. And then people don't actually use them at home because it's too restauranty. And when we started to kind of put recipes together or think what we wanted, we, we realized we wanted a bit more. We wanted it to be about why you get to this kind of opening a grill place in London, why, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to convey to, to guests and, and to ourselves and why it was important, all of these things. So it's kind of like a massive project that we had to think how to do. Yeah, a lot bigger than than just doing a thought. restaurant book, which yeah, was like, yeah. you know. No, but, and it was a lot bigger than what we thought it would be. It was a lot more complex than what it thought it would be. I mean, the just the amount of material we ended up with, it was just going through, it was immense, so. And it's packed with recipes, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a hundred and something. It's really hard to scale down. It's, quite, it's hard to scale down and, you know, and you also want to try and give people some tricks. So even if they use something, but they don't use it for the same preparation. So there's like a really great steak recipe. It's got a nice pepper salsa. You can also just do the pepper salsa. You don't have to do the steak. Or if you're making a steak, it just teaches you how to cook that. And it's the same with other things. So we make a great almond tahini, which is one of our kind of staples. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so grilled peaches with almond tahini and chard endive. Yes. I mean, so nice. Mm. And this has become like a dish at the restaurant as well. Yeah, and it's then, on the menu now. Yeah, it's on the menu now. Yes, yeah. if you want to try and uh, catch it. Uh, but it, but in winter, we serve the same almond tahini with sweet potatoes. And then in autumn, we serve it with roasted pears, like grilled pears. So it's all about like trying to give people tools that just make everything a bit more, you know. Also really nice would be with small fry. You just like everything for small fry. Yeah. I don't know that that counts. <laughs> Um, but it's also, I think, interesting to say that all the recipes in the book also say how to cook the dishes if you're not doing it on a barbecue. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. this is where we live. It's very much an apartment, a London apartment. At home, we don't have a fire. But we 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 never let it stop us. No. Yeah, we do have. I don't know if you can see in the zoom. Don't tell them on, on camera. The cling film on the fire alarm. Now he's whispering. You think if you whisper, that helps. Uh, we. Everyone has that. Everyone has that. No, I need to do that. I don't. I just end up like wafting. Yes. So we have done we, that we so many lot. times. We waft a lot. That now we're just over it, and we would rather burn in. A, no, let's not say that. But like, it's just impossible. You tell, we do, we do you charting. tell the story in um, at home, don't you? About. <laughs> You're doing a meal, yeah. the fire alarm. So yeah. the story is, I think, that you planned like it's really romantic kind of, you know, dinner. That was a candle rather than dinner that time. But <laughs> so we, we can, a lot of times we can cause fire alarm. Actually, it's kind of something we do is start yeah. fire alarms when we do events, not events, um, demos. It's one of our favorite things to do. Bookshops. Bookshops. Yeah. In uh, Bath, we did that. Yeah, I think, I think we're still banned from toppings Last time we in did Bath. TV, we also started the fire alarm, but it's just the smoke <laughs> from the pans. It's not, you know, 
Not we're not actually starting a fire. No, you want some no. smoke for char? I, I think uh, we move on from this for health and safety concerns. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting into trouble. Um, <laughs> um, it's interesting, isn't it, how cooking over fire has become so much more popular over the last couple of years. Yeah. But, but I think it's because people are trying to connect again. I think food went to this place a few years ago. There was this whole thing like the boil in a bag, like, oh, you know, I don't remember. I think it might have been Gordon Ramsay. Oh, everything comes from a central kitchen in bags, blah, blah, blah. It's fine. It was a way that kind of started to engulf the cooking world in like packing sous vide, backpacking, cooking in water baths and just finishing to order. It allows like a lot of consistency and stuff like that. But what it lost is that immediate feel yeah now. the feel of food and i think when when you're a customer so not even in the restaurant world and you go to like one of your high street supermarkets and you can get like a you know everything's in a pack with a marinade and all you do is put it in an oven you kind of disconnect from what it's like to actually make your food to remember that it, if you choose to eat animals it does come from an animal if you know how to cook it to understand not just to follow like an instruction on a pack but to actually understand that there's aspects to heat and caramelization and smell and sound that touch all of that affects what you're doing and i think all the senses yeah and and i just think definitely as chefs or the kind of chefs i suppose that we are you move towards wanting to get involved back in the food and to kind of really feel that you're cooking i suppose yeah and i feel that your food always does that and certainly in the books as well that you sort of I feel that you're very um, much encouraging people to just kind of just get in there and just do it and sort of use their hands and use all their senses and really you know just sort of connect as you say just as you're saying sorry just it really comes across that you're really just encouraging people to just you know connect with their food that little bit more and I think that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of us feel your food is so full of joy. Yeah we hope so I mean I think we all you know, especially after this year of, of really kind of sitting at home and, and looking at a screen, which actually for us is, is new. a very new experience, <laughs> you know, because we very much live in, in the world of the, of the physical, of the senses. But, you know, the, the big joy of, of food and cooking can give you is that, you know, is touching something, is smelling something, even if it's kind of a little bit icky, you know? <laughs> It's getting getting that response and then seeing it coming before our eyes. It's it's something that should be part of our everyday. It's kind of a you know a true everyday celebration. We need it, I feel. And I think that's what food markets do. Again, you talk in the book about how you love food markets and you you, you talk about lots of different food markets. If you do not, we, we love us a food market. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know. And obviously, you know, we're doing this you know, with, with, with Borough Market and we were talking earlier about you know, you, your stop well and you go to the market and, mm -hmm. it, and I think markets really achieve that, don't they? What you're just saying about that sort of, you know, understanding yeah. what food is. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, we always, even through lockdown, our preference is to go to a market, see the food, touch the food, buy it. If we can, you know, and we are busy people, it's not a thing, but it, we try and make it a routine uh, on a weekend, which is why we're excited about <laughs> Bar Market opening on Sunday, because that's our day off from the restaurants. But to, to go and to be able uh, to choose your food and to even just know the supplier, you get to talk to them. And then next time you come, 
they know what to recommend you. If you're going to like a good cheese person next time when they have a really nice cheese in, they're going to make sure you know. You know, this is part of the joy of it all. And we encourage people to eat with their hands. You know, Ethan does this thing in the restaurant where he tells them, you know, if, if, they're, if they're trying to eat the chops with like a knife and fork, <laughs> try and encourage them <laughs> to, to, to go for it with the... With just your fingers. I don't know. For us, it's all about it's it's about all the senses always. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you walk around any food market in the world, and certainly you know, for me when I go tomorrow, and you just see the colours and the smells and and the noise. And I love how also the noise, the noises change as to, as to the colours and the smells through a market, even through its day. You have the little kind of hubbub of things you know setting up, and then you have you know, the regulars coming, and then there's these moments of a kind of greater swell of you know enjoyment and all food markets all over the world i i, I love that yeah, yeah. and I, I i don't mind you know i i love kind of a you know the pretty bits but i i i don't mind the icky bits as well you know you need a little bit the guts you need a little bit the kind of well a little bit of of the ick just to this is real you know this is what we are this is the making of us and you know we shouldn't be desensitized to it it's yeah. you know part of the beauty yeah i think that's really right and um, i'm going to encourage the guys who are watching to send in their questions too when i'm not running out i've got loads more we can we can we're, we're mm. fine to kind of carry on for a good while yet but i if people do have questions please please do pop them into the q a on zoom and we'll get to those um probably in the last you know, little section of this chat i just want to go back slightly well sticking with food markets but going back slightly to think about travel and when we can all get back to yeah. doing travel all over the place what do you guys think is the trick for going somewhere and being able to really immerse yourself in that place through its food so we have two tricks and i think we, we write in the book about it the, the first thing that we do is we always take a taxi from the airport because I know it's a little bit of an extravagant but then you get so much value out of it if you get a good driver and you grill them and a they will show you around and they will give you a little bit of a tour and b you will find out the best places to eat because cabbies always know where to eat mm -hmm. in a town that is kind of cheap and, and real and fun so we always get like at least two or three recommendations before we even get to where we're staying that's a very good tip it's it so good and it's even even if you just like even if you can like take a 10 20 pound cab ride in the town just to just to be in the cab it's worth it it always comes back to you with delicious things and we always keep an eye out for the you know the old lady with the shopping basket or, or the old gentleman or not so old uh, but the, the person with the shopping but, basket. But you want to follow the, yeah. the shopping basket or the trolley when it's empty. When it's full, you're just stalking them and following yeah. them home. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> follow that, like head towards where a market should be and then follow the old person with an empty bag. Because by the end of the following, you will arrive somewhere fun. And this is, you know, we've done this everywhere in the world. In, in Japan, we were really following this this lady with a with an ice she box. wasn't happy with us she wasn't happy and then she managed to lose her tail <laughs> but we ended up in the amazing fish market and uh in sicily we followed an old guy to on one of these stand. yeah amazing the, just like a little impromptu market in a kind of parking lot and they had these amazing artichokes that they were grilling 
we always do it and we always come up front in Thessaloniki we just went on like a treasure hunt and we were just kind of passed around from one delicious thing to another it's I cannot recommend this enough do you ever befriend the people that you follow we I think we scare them more than befriend them I think so if we know yeah. yeah also we're not small people they may yeah. be worried we're trying to eat them I don't know the two of us kind of following them I'm not sure <laughs> they might I don't know, Angela, if we were following you <laughs> on your way to the market, would you befriend us? I would turn around and give you a big hug because you're picking the wrong person. <laughs> I'd be uh, to with lunch. No, uh, I, I, I no, take your point. Yeah. We've definitely ended up like chatting to people that have sent us somewhere or literally walked us to a place where they say, okay, but you have to try this. So you just follow me because I'm going to take you to this place. This has happened loads. We had someone... This is not about these trips, but we had someone in Japan that literally sat with us to explain to us as many years ago when we didn't realize about eating soba in like a cold sauce. And she just sat with us to explain to us how to eat it and how to slurp and how to make a mess. And that's all part of the. So people obviously kind of people are really generous with their food knowledge as well. They usually they're passionate about the city, their country. They're passionate about the food. They just want to share. And if you open that up like with the taxi drivers or just kind of someone in a cafe that you're sitting next to and have a chat and we're we're not that we start talking to everyone but if you see something well he, he talks to everyone uh if you see something you like and you start talking to someone usually they really want to tell you about it so they'll tell you about this olive oil or they'll tell you about feta cheese like someone somewhere is gonna like go into like this whole story and then as long as you let yourself kind of go down that path yeah. You find them really I nice. guess sometimes it's also about allowing people to be proud of what they have that may seem to them really ordinary and just really just you know just the local you know thing why on earth would these people coming from somewhere else be interested but yeah. sort of allowing people to be proud of what they have yeah. definitely and, and as soon as you show some interest then they come out of their shell and they want you to try and to taste and you know on these trips we met so many welcoming amazing people that just let us walk into their kitchens and start touching things and cooking things which we we couldn't believe we were being so like yeah. blatant about it we were just you know there was this amazing older guy in a market in the uh, in, 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 in uh, jordan this was it's like a little kind of uh city beautiful and a really nice kind of farmer market thing everyone just doing their thing people buying their regular shop and he was just making these little pancakes on a flat plate uh, they're very traditional at Taif. You have them in uh, Ramadan season, you know, period. It's very traditional. You fill them with nuts and stuff like that. But because they're quite a bit of work, people go to a guy that makes the pancakes and then they fill them at home. So I was just watching him with this, like, he had this water can, you know, like you would water your plants with. Filthy. <laughs> like full of cake batter, you know, pancake batter. And he was just like, you know, making this repetitive thing. And I said to him, oh, can I try? Like, and I couldn't even say it because we weren't speaking the same language. It's all with like, you know, hand gestures and stuff. And he just let me in there, let me make some pancakes, flip them, almost wanted to walk away and just yeah. leave me on his stand, you know? So, so it, yeah, if you show excitement, I think most people are really happy to talk you through what they're doing. Although I do remember reading in the book, there was a story about, I can't remember where, you were somewhere and a lady was roasting pumpkin and mm. she would let you have the chestnuts and other things that she was doing and you were trying to ask with language barriers to try her roasted pumpkin and she was not sharing. No. I think language barriers don't always yeah. work really well. No, but also, you know, 
she has her thing you know she's <laughs> no interested this is for you this is not for you ciao <laughs> this is my dinner don't yeah. interrupt my dinner <laughs> like i'm guessing i don't know what what was the thought process behind but you know that's a fair response and now because because then you you did your own version of yeah 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 yeah. let's get thinking about some recipes in here because i feel that we should tell the guys about some of the amazing recipes any any favorites or one interesting ones you guys want to talk about i mean i feel that everyone should try the the almond tahini because that's just something that you need to have in your fridge on tap all the time with everything we do you know, we never not have almond tahini. In, in we never fridge. not have almonds. If I, you know, yeah. I wouldn't get up and show you, but we always have like a big jar of almonds. It's good. It's really nutritious, very healthy. A nice alternative to tahini. It's much lighter to like a sesame tahini. Um, oh, I'm going to try because I, no, this may be where we fall out. Don't say you don't like tahini, Angela. This is the wrong, wrong no, place but, to No, but listen, well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to invite you over for dinner here and I'm going to make you tahini and I will convert you, I promise. It just, yeah, I feel like this conversation is taking a bad turn. I think I have not oh. had good tahinis and they feel, they have felt to me quite uh, cloying. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's you having the wrong thing. Yeah. Okay. All right, brilliant. We, I think we, we will said, sort it. We, we will sort it. That maybe not on the Zoom, maybe in person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it, it's interesting about the almonds. And I think one of the things I always find interesting about nuts is that nuts are not the same everywhere. You can, it's like anything, you can get really good ones that have so yeah. much flavor and, and, and color and are so rounded. And you get other ones that are so flat. And I think it can seem one of those things like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just nuts. It's, it's making a difference which ones you go for. But I actually feel like nuts are something really. Do you guys agree that it's really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, freshness, freshness is, is key, and like everything else, there, there's grades in quality. We were in um, the Ziantip, which is like the capital of pistachios, and they have, you know, I don't know what, you know, thirty or forty grades of pistachios, and then the most expensive ones, like the really precious ones they do not expose them to light to heat to anything they're always covered there's like special pistachio rooms. maturing rooms uh, and like the stuff that we get here like the fancy stuff for them it's like donkey fodder they wouldn't touch it yeah yeah so it's a, it's a big variety no, de definitely freshness is a big thing and like in greece we were in a region called pelion uh, when you get to eat like nuts that are like walnuts that are mm. fresh and really really Amazing. juicy and kind of full of water rather than acrid you know they walnuts can sometimes be a bit kind of um, stringent stringent so when they're fresh none of that exists it's like this kind of just buttery creamy nut so of course freshness is a, a really really important thing and and this is about going to a supplier that sells a lot and then you know that they're fresh because if you go to someone that maybe sells a bag of almonds in a year, not where to buy them. And, yeah. and, and actually in that case, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but the usually the, the supermarkets do a good job. Yes, the supermarkets are good. So I think at this point you can say anything you like. <laughs> no, I, think, I think a really busy supermarket gets through a lot of nuts and that's all right. It, at least they're fresh. Yeah. But you know, they, you know, anyway. Not categorically. I mean, there's, yeah. But I think it's about just taking a moment to think about what you're buying 
and where where it's from and that and god i mean who doesn't shop at supermarkets you know so i think it's just but just i think with everything as much as anyone reasonably can just taking a moment to think about what it is you're buying now i'm going to interrupt all of us and say that and this is a slightly technical point two people have raised a hand on zoom which i can see on my screen but unfortunately i have absolutely no idea what that means or what to do about it. So to the people who've raised a hand, if you have something that's an issue or you want to ask something, maybe pop it into the chat or the Q&A because unfortunately my Zoom knowledge does not extend. Sarah, <laughs> you got any ideas? What do I do when someone- Usually it just means they maybe posted a question that they want an answer to, but I don't know. Let's all raise a hand in solidarity. <laughs> Oh. I'm really sorry to those people who have done that and if uh, if you would like to try and um, make yourselves known to another way then that would be great because I, uh, I just don't have that same knowledge I'm afraid. Um, let yeah so recipes so almond tahini led us down a, a certain yeah but, but you yeah. know like if we keep it simple and very almost very English like the cabbage recipe we have a charred cabbage recipe oh that is so good it is so good and the cabbages in this country are amazing because you have so much water so we this is something country. we this country has so much water yeah. which means that actual local produce is amazing. is amazing and this is you can't say that about everything that you get in the uk sadly you know tomatoes in the uk they're not as good as some of the other things but all the brassicas, cabbages, asparaguses, broccoli, when they're in season in this country are far superior to what we get back home. Yeah. So when you grill like a beautiful juicy cabbage, it just becomes this amazing, amazing thing. We make a quick like garlic chili butter thing that we pour over it when it's charred with some dill. And it's so good. Absolutely delicious. It would make your barbecue a celebration yeah and also we, we we always love the simple things like you know potatoes or sweet potatoes every time you know we would light up a grill or even we have our little uh wood, fire. wood burner here uh we chuck a few potatoes or sweet potatoes kind of in the not on the course but kind of near to it and when they come out it's something completely different and amazing you know the sweet potatoes become like toffee and the potatoes are like so smoky and, and their flavor is so concentrated and condensed that it's something completely different. And then you only need maybe like a drizzle of oil or sour cream is the personal favorite, I will say. Uh, sour cream and potatoes, you can't go wrong. Um, it's amazing. So this is the kind of thing that are in our hearts. Mm -hmm. um, but I think from... The book what i really what i really want people to take are things like the sauces the marinades the little things that go with the little tricks you know i think fine make you can make a whole dish you know the, there's a beautiful uh, kind of tomato skewer that we do with a very very simple parsley sauce do it it's delicious but you know play with it take it use it for chicken use it for fish use it for you know whatever you do this is what my dream would be for this book. And I, and I think that's, it, it sings out of the book. Yeah, I'm just leafing through and it, I hope this is, uh, well, it's, I mean, everything's quite simple in a way because it's complex in terms of flavors and layering and the complexity that the, that the, the buyer brings. But in terms of people's time in the kitchen or the absolute sort of required culinary skill that you're asking people to arrive with. It's, it's it, very basic. Yeah. But, but, but the way we see it is, this is how people cooked 
from the start. This is the easiest way of cooking. You have a heat source and you put something on it and yeah. it changes because of that. You don't want to mess with it too much. You want to enjoy that aspect of it. So the recipes are straightforward. Like one of the things to learn what Idan was saying about taking, tr taking tricks is like, we use a salt solution to brush a fish as it's grilling, just a whole fish on the grill. You brush it continuously with the salt solution. What it does is it kind of keeps the fish really moist inside. The skin goes is like crisp, crackly, kind of shiny, slightly salty thing. And it's an absolutely amazing way to cook fish. So we cook a sea bass in the book, but you can cook any fish that way. And it's amazing. So that's kind of what we're hoping people use and understand. That's a great tip. Yeah, really simple. Salt water, that's all. You just brush it continuously. Flip it, brush it. It's the best fish you will have. Yeah, that's such a good tip. And, and at the back of the book, there is you know, a sort of couple of pages of bullet points, really, and little paragraphs of just tips of how to do it. And I think that's incredibly useful that you're not, you're not presuming that people are arriving with an enormous amount of knowledge about cooking over fire. You know, I've been, I you know, cook for part of my living and I've only cooked over fire once. You know, if I was going to really kind of cook from this book, that bit at the back of all these tips is you know, massively useful. The recipe that I'm really looking forward to, I'm going to do this one, is the new season garlic and lamb kofta. Oh, so, so good. good. Bang, so bang, good. All, all the new garlic just coming in. Yeah. Plus, it, like it ticks every box of what we love. <laughs> like loads of new garlic. A bit of meat because it's all about the garlic actually there's only a bit of meat for flavoring yeah and then yeah. just use some like some kind of soft bread to mop it all up it's delicious yeah one i'm really really looking forward to um we have a question that has come in which um if you guys don't mind i can answer actually um it, we're going back to nuts and uh ladies asking about where uh, where to run to buy nuts um and i'm gonna i'm gonna give a big shout out for um the nut people at borough market who I think uh, it's actually a bit of a running joke at the market. I can never remember the name of this stall. And yet I spent a lot of my time raving about it. I think it's called From Field to Forest. Food to Forest! And you uh. behind the screen would help me out. I don't know, I can never remember it. And yet I love it. Food to Forest, their nuts are... Have you guys tried them? No. Not yet. Oh, we, we will we're, now. We will okay. now. No, when no, you're there, no. week on Sunday, doing your Insta takeover, little plug for that, make sure you go to Food and Forest because everything I was saying earlier about appreciating how different nuts can be depending on how you enjoy them where they're from and how they're produced and how quickly they make it into your hand is based on having tried the hazelnuts at Food and Forest and they do other nuts oh. they are I mean I know it sounds ridiculous for me to get so off my bike about nuts but honestly they are amazing I'd love you guys to try them when you go I think I think you should be like I'm very passionate about nuts. It's very important. It's a big part of my baking as well. It's a big part of the food in the Middle East. All the baklavas, everything like that. It's always got nuts in. So I'm a you know, yeah, we're yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're with you. you know. We're there. <laughs> um, so I just mentioned it quickly. So maybe we should talk about it in a bit more detail. So a week Sunday. So bar is now bar market now open on Sundays, which we're all loving. Yeah. Um, just for produce, just for produce shopping. So it's the not best start, you know. It's for all of us who want to get ourselves down to our market and actually pick up some great stuff to cook at home. And a week on Sunday, you guys are going to be there, is that right? Mm, we're going to be there, we're going to be shopping, we're going to be cooking afterwards. Yeah, I'm really hoping that my yogurt guys are going to be there. Yeah. The yogurt guys, because they're, they're... We have our favorite passions about little, yeah. you know, it's a few things you kind of 
Yeah. yeah. You, you want to make sure they're there when you're going because otherwise. I think upset. a lot of people, a lot of the traders are open on Sunday. It's all on the website, I think, for people who yeah. are curious about which ones are open on Sunday. But I think a lot of them are, and the buzz has been really, really lovely. And I think it's such a nice thing for you know, people who work in the week or you know, whatever to be able to just kind of you know, pop down and get and get their stuff. So that's a, a week on Sunday. Oh, um, Pip, who's behind the Borough Talks Lagon here. She's being brilliant on the chat. She's putting in all the info, links and everything. 57 traders are open at the market um, on Sundays, which is which is amazing. Um, Do you know the yogurt guy? I can never pronounce their name, but it's- you both, is... You're both on like the names of things. You just walk to, like, you know, <laughs> we just walk to somewhere and then uh, you don't know what it's called. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to- Oh, she, we can yes, yes, Kappa Kaisen. Yeah. They're amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, this is a last call for questions from, from people who are listening um, and watching who might have a question for Sarit um, and Ismar. Um, so we've talked a little bit about your um, barbecue you know, tips for cooking over fire. I'm loving the one um, about the, uh, the salt water on the fish. I think that's completely brilliant. What about kit? Do you need all the fancy, all the fancy kits? I mean, we are we are the ones that buy all all the kitchen kits. You know, we are the people that it's aimed at. So we buy every gadget and all the things. That said, you know, the fancy barbecue doesn't do anything different than just like some metal tin with coals in it. You know, so the the technology is is essentially the same. Maybe you feel that you get you need a temperature gauge. You don't. Maybe you maybe need, a lid, but you yeah. can also use an upturned bowl if it's a big like metal bowl. I mean, we kind of ended up cooking with quite a lot of random kind of barbecue like we setups. Cooked in buckets in old sinks in but on the beach, just on on the sand and you know yeah. with the rocks around. There's like a lot of different ways. Basically, it all does the same. Uh, if yeah. you if tongs, you tongs. Yeah. I would say tongs are important yeah. a good pair of tongs because you don't want to burn your hands a good like grid always helps uh you know like a, a grill kind of so just something that stuff can rest on of course a lot of the skewers you can do without it as well but if you're kind of doing fish or anything like that you need it to sit on something and you want it to be non-stick but that's really all all you need when you were traveling and you, you, again, you write in the book about people who are you know, doing things in metal drums or, you know, in sand pits almost. And you tell a lovely story. I'm not going to even attempt the pronunciation. I'm going to ask you guys to. You talk about uh, a three-legged cast iron pot that holds chicken. Poike. Poike. Okay. Which yeah. sounds just good. And, and obviously you say in the book about, you know, using something else. But isn't it horribly tempting when you're on these trips to just, like, gather up all this stuff and bring it back? You know how much crap we have? Sorry, we're allowed to say crap. We have, we were traveling with this like giant broomstick because somebody told us that this is the only thing you can use for phyllo pastry. Do you know what it's like to go through airport security with a giant broomstick? Everybody think we're was, blind. I was, yeah, I was sight impaired. And yeah, I needed, I needed and, a stick or for that walking. we need a stick for walking. And we, when you tell people, no, it's for phyllo pastry, 
We do they, collect a lot of random they things. They just justifiably think of you as a little bit of a buffoon. And then you have people that are following everyone in the town as well. It's like, what is it with these guys? Yes. Yeah. They're, you know, we have a reputation. Yeah. It proceeds as but not we, in a good way. We never see a bit of kit and not buy it. Yeah. We get all the kits. Well, if it can fit in the suitcase. If it fits in the suitcase or kind of... Oh, you can walk. The on broomstick it. didn't fit. No, we had to walk on with that. You're right. <laughs> well, I can imagine it's it's just you know exciting just seeing all this stuff and thinking about you know bringing it back. I mean, I'm guessing you didn't go for the three-legged cast iron. Pot. I didn't bring one of those, even though definitely my all my family back home have one, and it often goes on picnics uh, with them. We haven't been back for a long time because no. of COVID, but it's always part of the picnic kit because you can really kind of put it on and ignore it and kids run around or you go for a swim and you come back and it's kind of it just does its thing yeah. uh which is quite an amazing piece of kit to to have yeah, yeah. i didn't look I, at I one wish but I they are for... really heavy like they're proper cast iron heavy things yeah we did instead of uh we just used our very fancy the cruiset pan to put in the wood burner but we should have gotten like yeah now now, now it's not looking so good <laughs> but that was actually that was our christmas chicken from ginger pig in bar market that was so good it was so so good we cooked it in the log banner yeah in our la cruise which yeah. is you know which now is now ruined yeah you know. well, well, you live and learn you live and learn yeah 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 god that sounds i can show it to you it sits on the fireplace I don't know if you can see it. It looks alright. No, trust me. Uh, uh, can you see it from a distance? It's slightly blue on the outside, but it is black, black on the inside. Black, black, black on oh, the inside. This just shows it's been used and loved. Right, a couple, couple of questions. Um, well, this one is a uh, lady's asking, would we, you, we, me, we, recommend Shuk at Ara um, as a good representation of Tel Aviv cooking? I'm going to say that I certainly love buying the food at Shuk. I can't speak for it being a good representation of Tel Aviv cooking, but my goodness, it's one of the hot food stands in the Newborough kitchen area. You know I never eat Middle Eastern food anywhere. Same. Apart from in the Middle East. Look, we have a re you know, we have three restaurants basically that do this food. Our staff lunch all the time is Middle Eastern food. If I'm going out to buy, it's sushi, dumplings, or maybe sometimes like a Chinese. <laughs> you know, uh, so, like, uh, so completely fair and makes absolute, absolute sense. Well, I don't know, but I'm sure it's great. Yeah, and we we will, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a representation. If, if Angela says it's good, then it's good. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, guys. Um, so I have another lady who is asking, where do you buy your wood or fuel? What's your wood or fuel source? So in the restaurants, we use a low emission smoke charcoal. So it's an engineered charcoal uh to last longer and emit less smoke it's a, a london safety precaution you have to use uh but if we're on holidays we try and use a local wood if we can uh because wood kind of imparts a really beautiful flavor yeah um and if we can do olive wood it's really nice when you're in the middle east like dried olive wood it smells amazing yeah it smells really beautiful or citrus trees and stuff like that if you can get it um and then just try and find a sustainable charcoal. But I would say what we have to use in honey and smoke doesn't have a flavor to it per se. It's it's good at retaining heat and at not emitting too much smoke, which for a restaurant is quite important when you have your grills on every day, all day long. So not, not an amazing answer, I suppose, for 
no, but, no, it, no. but it is important to be kind of as responsible with it as you can. I, I feel very strongly about that. I, f I feel that we can sort of justify that if we're very, very cautious. You know what I mean? I think that's the best possible answer actually from you both but it's about again it's what we're saying about food isn't it just thinking about what you're getting and where you're getting it from and its impact of it just being a little bit more you know thoughtful about things where where we all have the you know the possibility of of doing that um we're getting close to winding up i'm really curious that uh you, you you've traveled obviously to so many places and your food and food in a wonderful book is inspired by so many places but when we can travel again where food wise and it can be outside of you know the region of your cooking uh where food wise are you most looking forward to going to for the food i think you know for, for a long time we've had like this kind of thing in our head about going to to China with, uh, you know, Fusha Dunlop, who writes a lot about China and does uh, like food tours. In our head, it was supposed to be for Itamo's 40th and then we couldn't arrange it and then things happen. But in our head, that's always one of the places that we're quite, you know, excited to go and try. But in the complete opposite, we're also really looking forward to heading Eastern Europe, Balkan area, because actually we've never... Like we have a lot of influences um, in Israel because there's a lot of diaspora that comes from Bulgaria and stuff like Romania. that, Romania, and we haven't traveled there yet. And this, there was some talk of us trying to put it in this book and we couldn't get to it, but that is our next kind of place to go and eat it. I think it would be an amazing uh, discovery. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Ishmari, same, same answers for you. I mean, I'm definitely into the Balkans. I'm definitely into going and exploring China. I would say for anyone thinking about kind of like bang for your buck food holiday, Southern Turkey, go there, go to Adana, go to Gaziantep, uh, go to Antakya. They, the food there is incredible. It's like, you know, on a par with, with Paris, with San Sebastian, with Tokyo. Uh, the produce is incredible. They know what to do with it. They love, you know, sharing it. I, I would definitely love to go back and I would strongly recommend for anyone to have them top of the list. Yeah, how completely lovely. And whilst we can't do that, people who want to travel through food just need to read chasing smoke and cook from it exactly. because you absolutely absolutely do and i you know i i well i mean i have cooked from it and i say can't wait to do these uh, new season garlic and lamb cofters at the weekend but i've also as i say just loved reading about it and when we can't experience different foods in different places and cultures it's lovely to be able to kind of read about them and eat them as well so i mean just massive congrats guys what a lovely, lovely thank book. you so much thank, thank you. you so much and thank you so much for having us it's uh... <sighs> I mean, wonderful, wonderful privilege. So, well, I mean, just lovely, lovely to have you. Um, and so just to repeat that, you guys are doing Insta Takeover for Borough Market Week on Sunday, which yep. is the 18th, 19th, something like that. Yeah. There will be yogurt. <laughs> there will be yogurt and there will be nuts. There will be nuts. Uh, we can say that with certainty um, and it will all be over on um, the Borough Market Insta. So beautiful follow along with you guys and having a great time down Oh, we're also going to have the parentals. You need to watch just for Sarit's parents. They're amazing. But I did they're, they're coming tomorrow. We haven't seen them for almost two years now. We're very excited. We're, fingers crossed that flights land and everything happens and nothing gets changed. 
but in theory we're seeing my parents tomorrow. Oh, that's so wonderful I'm so happy for you that's so gorgeous yeah, that's exciting yeah that is exciting um Sarah Tishmar huge thanks for joining us today for thanks for having us Chasing Smoke, fab book. Thank you all who have um, watched and listened. Um, it's been lovely to have you with us on Borough Talks. All of these uh, instalments, editions end up as the Borough Market podcast. Um, this is our third season, so we have some lovely conversations. Well, I've certainly thought they were lovely doing them. Um, lovely conversations on there if you want to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and just put in Borough Talks. Um, but for now, thank you. Thank you all ever so much and goodbye. <laughs>